ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Today then we're on the hadith where Al-Imam Al-Bukhari says قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا مُوسَى إِبْنُ إِسْمَاعِيلَ عَنْ عَبْدِ الْوَاحِدِ عَنْ الْأَعْمَشِ عَنْ إِبْرَاهِيمِ عَنْ عَلْقَمَةِ عَنْ إِبْنِ مَسْعُودِ قَالْ بَيْنَا أَنَا أَمْشِي مَعَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فِي بَعْضِ حَرْثِ الْمَدِينَةِ وهو يتوكأ على عصيب معه فمررنا على نفر من اليهود فقال بعضهم لبعض سلوه عن الروح فقال بعضهم لا تسألوه أن يجيء فيه بشيء تكرهونه فقال بعضهم لنسألنه فقام إليه رجل منهم فقال يا أبا القاسم ما الروح فسكت عنه النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فعلمت أنه يوحى إليه فقال ويسألونك عن الروح قل الروح من أمر ربي وما أوتوا من العلم إلا قليلا قال الأعمش هكذا في قراءتنا The hadith here is almost identical to the hadith that we covered previously regarding how there were a group of Jews and they wanted to come and try and ask the Prophet وسلم, some questions that they thought he would be unable to answer. So they were saying, let's go and ask him about the soul. But then some of them said, don't go and ask him. You might get a response that you're not pleased with. But the others, they said, we're going to go and ask him. We're going to go and do it. We're going to go and ask him about the soul. So then they went. One of them got up and went and said, Oh, Abu Al-Qasim, referring to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, What is the ruh? What is this ruh? So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam remained silent upon him. He remained silent upon him. So Ibn Mas'ud says, عَلِمْتُ أَنَّهُ يُوحَى إِلَيْهِ He said, I knew that revelation was coming upon him. He remained silent, the Prophet wasallam, And Ibn Mas'ud said, I knew revelation was coming upon him. And then the Prophet wasallam recited the ayah, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْرُوحِ And they ask you about the ruh. قُلِ الْرُوحُ مِنْ أَمْرِ رَبِّي Say that this ruh, this soul, 
It is from the affair of Allah. وَمَا مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا And they have not been given from knowledge except a small amount. Al-A'mash said, this is how it is. This is how it is in our recitation. The point of this narration is that the Prophet ﷺ tells them that the soul, it is something from the amr, from the affairs, from the command of Allah. قُلِ الرُّوحُ مِنْ أَمْرِ رَبِّي مِنْ أَمْرِهِ الْكَوْنِ that it is from the command of Allah in the decree, in the creational sense, this ruh, this soul. فَهُوَ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى يَخْلُقُ مَا يَشَاءُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates whatever He wills, whatever He wishes, just as Allah said in the Qur'an, وَرَبُّكَ يَخْلُقُ مَا يَشَاءُ And your Lord creates whatever He wills. يَخْلُقُ مَا يَشَاءُ مِنْ أَيِّ مَادَّةٍ That Allah creates whatever He wants from whatever He wants. Allah creates whatever He wants from whatever material content compound he wants. And he creates whatever he wants from whatever he wants, however he wants. Upon whatever description and form Allah wishes to create, then Allah creates upon that. Because all of this affair, all of this command, <coughs> it returns back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah has the absolute control over creation, how it is created, what is created, from what material and source it is created from, upon what description and form it is created upon. وفي هذا الحديث دليل على أن الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يتكلم بما لا يعلم وأن الأمور الغيبية يسكت عنها حتى ينزل عليه الوحي The hadith also indicates that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم does not speak about affairs that he doesn't know from himself. Rather, when this type of situation used to arise, then the Prophet ﷺ would remain silent upon that until an answer came in the form of the revelation. So in this occasion, it's mentioned, when he was asked about the soul, he did not have the knowledge of that yet. So he remained silent. And then came the revelation from Allah. And that revelation came in the form of the ayah, explaining that it is from the command of Allah, the ruh, 
and that we have not been given from knowledge except a small amount. Just as we said before, meaning we've not been taught the details of what the ruh is, we've not been given the ability to see the ruh, to feel, to touch, to understand the ruh in that level of detail, we've not been given that. So, in the hadith is a proof that the Prophet ﷺ did not speak from his desires, did not speak upon what he did not know until the revelation came. وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَىٰ The Prophet ﷺ does not speak from desire, from his own Rather, that is revelation that is inspired to him. Revelation that is inspired upon the Prophet ﷺ. That's why when you hear the term Al-Wahyayn, Al-Wahyan, the two revelations, those two revelations, of course, we're talking about the Qur'an and the Sunnah. It's mentioned in the narration of one of the Salaf. كان جبريل ينزل على النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بالسنة كما ينزل عليه بالقرآن. That Jibreel used to descend upon the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم with the Sunnah, teaching him the Sunnah. Just as he used to descend upon him to teach him the Quran, both are revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why in all of the narrations we are taught, clinging on to the two affairs, the Quran and the Sunnah. And of course, as we know, with the understanding of not you or me or anyone else, but with the understanding of the Salaf upon the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Hence the Prophet said, Alaykum bi sunnati Upon you is to cling to my Sunnah. And he said, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Taraktu fikum shay'ayn. I've left two things behind. Ma in tamassaktum bihi ma lan tadillu min ba'di. As long as you cling on to them, them too, then you will not go astray after me. Kitab Allahi wa sunnati, aw kama qal, the book of Allah and my sunnah. So there are many narrations highlighting the importance of the sunnah. We've discussed that many a time before, regarding the status of the sunnah, regarding how the Prophet ﷺ does not speak from himself, that is revelation that has come to him. Who can give us a famous example proving the need for the sunnah? A famous example often mentioned by the scholars. We've quoted it so many times too. From Al-Hasan al-Basri who narrates it from Imran ibn Hussein who says or it's mentioned that The black snake? I don't know anything about the black snake. Something else. 
a narration that proves the vital importance of the Sunnah. Quoted quite often by the scholars, we've quoted it many times here in the classes as a whole. A narration proving how you cannot live without the Sunnah. You can't just say, I'll stick to the Quran, that's enough. You need the Sunnah, critical. There was an example, you remember the narration of Al Hassan al Basri, who narrates from Imran ibn Hussein that on one occasion Imran ibn Hussein was giving a, a lesson, he was giving a talk, and he was quoting Quran and Sunnah. So a man from the audience, he said to him, Talk to us, Hadithna bil Quran. He said, Talk to us, your lecture, your talk, your what you're giving us, give it with evidences from the Qur'an only. Stick to making your lecture on the ayat of the Qur'an, evidences of the Qur'an only. Why were they saying that? Because sunnah, some hadith are authentic, some of them are weak, some of them are fabricated. We can't determine what's going on with the sunnah, but Qur'an, all of it, absolutely authentic no question so he said speak to us with the quran only only quran leave aside the sunnah we can't determine weak fabricated strong hassan sahih etc so when that comment came to him from the audience who remembers it now what did he say to the man when this comment came to him from the audience Before that, he said to him, he said, come here. He says in the narration, he said to him, Odunu, come here. So when the man came, then he said to him, Araita wukilta anta wa ashabuka Quran? Do you see if you and the likes of you, those who are upon this opinion of yours, if you were all left to the Qur'an only, then how would you know that dhuhr is four raka'at? The dhuhr prayer that you pray, how many raka'at is it? Four. How do you know? In the sunnah. Four raka'at you pray for dhuhr. How have we discovered it is four raka'at? Is there any ayah in the Qur'an that tells you dhuhr prayer is four raka'at? Any ayah in the Qur'an saying dhuhr is four raka'at? No. So how do we know we're supposed to pray for? From the sunnah. If you were left with the Qur'an only, then how would you pray dhuhr prayer? Where would you get the detail of how to pray dhuhr prayer? Or any other prayer? He went on to say maghrib, first two loud, third one, silent. Is it in the Quran anywhere that description of Maghrib? Read the first two out loud, the third one quiet, three raka'at. Any ayat in the Quran that say that? So, how have you learned that you pray Maghrib in that way? Sunnah. This is what Imran ibn Hussein said to him. How are you going to know these things if you want me to stick to Quran only and basically abandon the Sunnah? How are you going to know how to pray? How are you going to know it's four raka'at for Dhuhr, four for Asr? Three for Maghrib, loud the first two, quiet the third one. How are you going to know all of those things if you only want me to stick to the Quran and abandon the Sunnah? 
Then what did he say to him as a second example? He gave him another example. What was the other example? Hajj, what about it? The, the procedure, which part? There are several procedures. Which part of Hajj? Or which part of Umrah? Tawaf. Tawaf, when you do it, how many times do you have to go around the Kaaba? Seven. Which ayah of the Quran tells you you have to go around the Kaaba seven times when you do Umrah and Hajj? There is no ayah. It does not tell you in the Quran that the Umrah and Hajj when you do it, the Tawaf when you do it, is seven times around the Kaaba. So how are you going to go do Umrah and Hajj? How have you worked out and found out how to do Umrah and Hajj? From the Sunnah. So he gave him that example too. He gave him those two examples of the greatest aspects of Islam. Prayer, Hajj. He said, how would you pray? How would you do Hajj? How would you know how to do those things if you want me to only ever give classes with evidences from the Quran alone? Cannot quote hadith to you, we abandon the sunnah. How would you know these things? Then Imran ibn Hussein said to everybody else, listen to me, O people. Listen to me. If you follow this path, you'll be destroyed. Or listen to me and be upon the path of the sunnah too. He explained to them all, this, what the man was wanting and what he was requesting was absolutely incorrect and false. Give us lectures, only Qur'an. Don't mention hadith, leave that aside. We don't know, is it sahih, is it hasan, is it da'if, is it fabricated, mawdu'ah. Leave the sunnah aside, Qur'an only. He told them, no, that is not the way. The sunnah alongside the Qur'an. And that's why we've mentioned before many a time the various different relationships between the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Between the Qur'an and the Sunnah, there are different perspectives of relationship between them. What are they? So one relationship, one perspective is that the sunnah, before you get to that, the first one you should say is, confirms. The sunnah confirms what's in the Qur'an. Or, uh, the sunnah confirms what's in the Qur'an. It tells you exactly the same as what is in the Qur'an. So there are a vast portion of the sunnah, there is a large portion of the sunnah, a hadith, when you read them, the exact same details are in the Qur'an. All the hadith that you read about worshipping Allah upon Tawheed, abandoning shirk. Jannah for the righteous and pious, hellfire for the people of shirk. All of those kinds of details in the sunnah are everywhere also in the Qur'an. That same principle of Tawheed and shirk is something you find affirmed in the sunnah exactly as what is in the Qur'an. So one relationship between them is the sunnah backs up the Qur'an, gives you a, a double, uh, the information again, exactly the same as what's in the Qur'an already. 
The second relationship then is the Sunnah expands upon and clarifies with more detail something that is in the Quran but just not in as much detail. Sometimes there are things mentioned in the Quran but they are not mentioned in specifics and details and broken down. Where are you going to find the details and the breakdown of those things in the Sunnah? An example is what we just said. Prayer. Is it mentioned in the Quran, the Salah? Salah, absolutely, of course. Salah, prayer, that's mentioned in the Quran. There are ayat all throughout talking about prayer and establishing the prayer and standing in prayer. In fact, when you open up the Mus'haf, what do you see right at the beginning? From the characteristics of the believers, those who believe in the unseen, the mu'minun, and they establish the prayer right at the beginning. So the command about the prayer is in the Quran. But the details and the explanation of how you pray, when you pray, raka'at, what you read, all those details are then in the sunnah. So the sunnah expands upon the Quran and gives a greater clarification and detail of what is in the Quran sometimes. So the first relationship was the sunnah simply backs up and affirms the same as what is already in the Quran. Second relationship, it does a bit more than that. Backs it up, but then on top of that actually expands upon it and clarifies it further. And the third relationship, something new. There are certain parts of the religion that are not mentioned in the Quran. And they are mentioned in the Sunnah. So sometimes the Sunnah adds, adds new information that is not mentioned in the Quran. New pieces of information that are not mentioned in the Quran. Examples of that might be like on the Day of Judgment. On the Day of Judgment, we know there are many things that are going to occur. The, the books that will be given and the bridge that will be crossed and various things happen on the Day of Judgment. All of those things that happen on the Day of Judgment is every single one of them mentioned in the Quran. Not every single one. There are one or two here and there where the scholars, they say it's not really directly mentioned in the Quran. That is something found in the Sunnah. So that would now be an extra piece of information in the Quran. It wasn't there. There's an example regarding who you're allowed to marry and who you're not allowed to marry. In the Quran it tells you, you cannot marry two sisters together, you cannot marry this, you cannot marry that. Gives you the details of who it is impermissible to marry. Then there are some more additions to the ones you can't marry that are not there, but they are found in the Sunnah. So there are examples of additions in the Sunnah that you wouldn't have in the Quran. أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر 
أَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ أَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ أَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح حي على الفلاح الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله So that is a basic breakdown of how to understand the Sunnah alongside the Qur'an. Sunnah and Qur'an, both revelations from Allah. It is not possible to take only one and to abandon the other. As some of them do, the Qur'aniyun, those who claim to only follow the Qur'an and not the Sunnah, and the reality is they are refuted by their own principle, since the Qur'an itself tells you to follow the Sunnah. Whatever the Prophet gives you then, take it, take that, implement it, practice it. The Qur'an tells you that. They claim to follow the Qur'an and the reality is they are not following the Qur'an. That is why we mentioned in Usul al-Sunnah of Imam Ahmed that many of you attended. At the beginning of Usul al-Sunnah, Imam Ahmed, he says, no, right, beginning, beginning. At-tamassuku bima kana alayhi ashabu Rasulullah sallallahu Imam Ahmad, he began that book by saying from our principles, the principles of the sunnah is that we cling onto what the companions of the Prophet were upon. How come he never said our principles are to cling onto the Quran and the sunnah and what the companions of the Prophet were upon? He missed out saying Quran and sunnah went straight on to saying from our principles what the companions were upon. How come he didn't say from our principles, Quran, Sunnah, and what the companions are upon? What was the reason? Mm. Because when it comes to Quran and Sunnah, all of the deviated groups out there whether they are Ikhwani, Tabliri, Takfiri, whatever they might be, 
they will all stand there in front of you and say, we follow Quran and Sunnah. Ikhwani, Takfiri, Tablighi, Sufi, whatever they may be, Khariji, whatever. They will say, we follow Quran and Sunnah. All of them claim following Quran and Sunnah. So then how do you differentiate? If we say now in Usul Sunnah, our principle following the Quran and the Sunnah, every one of the sects will say, Alhamdulillah, we're upon the madhab of Imam Ahmad. So how do you differentiate? Imam Ahmad went straight to the point of differentiation. That we follow what the companions were upon. What is it that they were upon? Their practice of the Quran and the Sunnah, which clarifies to you we are upon the Quran and the Sunnah upon the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah, and that is something none of the other groups can claim. The Kharaji cannot come and say that his methodology is the methodology of Abu Bakr Siddiq, is the methodology of Umar ibn Khattab. He'll never find the examples for it. The Sufi cannot come along and say Quran and Sunnah upon the methodology of Al-Khulafa al-Rashidin, of Al-Ashr al-Mubashirin bil-Jannah. They'll never be able to claim that because they will never find from the Sahaba the practices that they are upon now. They will never find from the Salaf the Aqidah that they are upon now. So all of these groups of deviation out there, they will all claim Quran and Sunnah. None of them though can claim and prove that they are following the Quran and the Sunnah upon the methodology of the Salaf of this Ummah. Hence, Al-Imam Ahmad went straight for the point, the critical explanation that makes it clear from the beginning. Quran and Sunnah upon the methodology of the Salaf of this Ummah. He went to the differentiating point, to the distinguishing point straight away. Because none of the groups of innovation can claim their practice is upon the way of the Salaf. They will never find examples from the Salaf doing what they are doing now, practicing what they are practicing, holding the aqidah that they are holding. So, the point was here, as Shaykh al had mentioned, that in this hadith is an example and a proof that the Prophet ﷺ does not speak from himself, does not make anything up, Rather, when that used to occur, that type of situation with questions, and he didn't have that knowledge yet, he would remain silent and wait for that revelation, and that revelation, if it came, when it came, then he would have the details of that affair. If you look in the books of the Sunnah as well, the Sunnah of Abi Dawood, etc., there are chapters regarding that topic. Not speaking unless you have knowledge nowadays we have this problem of people speaking before they have any knowledge at the time of the salaf they had knowledge and still they would try not to speak at the time of the salaf they had the knowledge that was there despite having the knowledge they used to try not to speak Nowadays, neither do they have the knowledge, neither do they stop themselves from trying to speak. The complete opposite of the way the Salaf were. It's mentioned about the Salaf that if somebody came 
and asked somebody a question. Some commoner comes along and asks one of them from the, the fuqaha, the scholars of the salaf, and they all had that knowledge. Somebody comes and asks one of them a question, and he knows the answer. He would say, ask him, ask him. He would pass it on to his brother. He knows, he knows the answer too. So the guy would come to him. He'd say, no, no, ask him, ask him. And he'd pass it on to him, knowing he can give him the fatwa. He knows the answer. He would say, no, 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 ask him, ask him. And they all know the answer. But it's just from their humbleness and from their humility, they don't want to be the one giving the fatwa. And they know the next man can give it. They know all of them know the answer. They've all got the knowledge. And then it says in the narration, it would carry on until eventually it came back. The man came back to the first one. He said, I've been everywhere. They've sent me back to you. Give me the answer. They wouldn't want to be the ones giving out the fatawa, giving out these as, as a mufti. But nowadays, everybody, everybody is a mufti. There are many narrations about the one who speaks without knowledge and the consequences of the one who speaks without knowledge. And it's not an embarrassment. It is not an embarrassment for somebody to say, La adri, Allahu a'lam. I don't know. These days though it is. These days people think it is a humiliation and a degradation that you have been, you can't show your face for a couple of weeks now. Somebody came and asked you a question and you didn't know the answer, you're supposed to be a sheikh. What kind of a sheikh are you? People view it as an embarrassment and that is from their lack of sincerity, their lack of knowledge and their lack of understanding of how to behave with knowledge. There is nothing wrong with that. Everybody knows the famous narration of Imam Malik. The narration of Imam Malik, what happened? Huh? Somebody traveled to Imam Malik. Where was Imam Malik living? Medina. Somebody traveled to him from where? Maghrib area? Wrong way. They say he came from Iraq. A man came from Iraq all the way to Medina to Al-Imam Malik. He said, my people have sent me to you. They've told me, go to Al-Imam Malik in Medina, ask him these questions. He said, my people have sent me to you. And it mentions in most of the narrations there were 40 questions. 40 questions that his people had sent him to go to Al-Imam Malik. So when he got there, he asked the 40 questions, and then there are some variations in the narrations, but generally speaking, it mentions that the vast majority of the 40 Al-Imam Malik said to him, I don't know. In some narrations it says it was 36 of them that Al-Imam Malik said, I don't know, and he only gave answers to four of them. In another one it says 32 he didn't know, and he gave him answers to eight of them. So the majority, three quarters or more, he gave him no answer. So then the man said, He's, huh? he said, what am I going to go tell them? They sent me to Al-Imam Malik, you. You're Al-Imam Malik. They sent me all the way from Iraq here. And you only give me three or four answers, 30, 40 almost. No answers. I'm going to go back with nothing. What am I going to tell them? Al-Imam Malik said, go and tell them. But Al-Imam Malik said, he doesn't know the answers to these questions. 
So there is nothing in that. There is nothing in that, particularly for us. Particularly for us and the levels that we're at. There is nothing in it for any of us to say, Allahu A'lam. Rather, the reality would be the majority of the time you would be saying, Allahu A'lam, rather than answering. The Salaf, you look at their example and you read the books regarding the chapters of knowledge and how they used to be with knowledge and the chapters regarding being careful from giving fatwa and being careful from giving answers until you have some certainty and verification. Those types of things don't exist these days. Everybody is a sheikh. These days all you got to do is Google. Some dodgy websites come up with some answers. Whatever, you got some answer. No references, no nothing. Is it really Sheikh Othay means quote this one? Is it really Sheikh Bin Baz? Is it really this? Is it really that? You've checked no books. You've done nothing. Googled it. Now you're going to start sending out answers or telling people answers. That is not the way of knowledge. It is not the way that the scholars have taught. And that is something of a disease amongst the people today. We've said many times before on YouTube and the YouTube Mashaikh and the YouTube generation now, where everybody can sit there in front of the camera. And as we said, they can Photoshop the books behind them if they haven't got any. And they're all sat there. And they can give the fatawa. They can eye in their shimaq before they come on camera. And they're a sheikh, mufti, everybody. So this is not the way of knowledge. Ibn Sirin, you know the famous narration. Inna hadha al-ilm. Deen, this knowledge you are seeking, it is religion. So look to whom you take your knowledge from. So before we round off, what was the homework? I remember the homework, but I forgot what it was. False claimants to prophethood. So who's got it? Hands up if you got the answer. Sister's answers here. Hands up if you got the answers. How many? One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, some brothers are raising their hands like this. <laughs> like, uh, I got the answer, but I don't want, you know, I don't know, I don't want to. Are you Huh? Now? Short answer, what is it? Ah, short answer, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here we have an answer from the sister's side. Mentions Musaylama. Absolutely, we mentioned that last time. Aswad al-Anazi. For those who did it, can you verify if that's correct? Yep. Absolutely. Tulayha al-Asadi. Correct. And what about him? Or became Muslim apostated after the prophet died then repented and died as a martyr and then there is harith al-dimishqi anybody get that all right then written here as baba arumi anybody all right Sajah bint al-Harith. Married to Musaylama. Any more? There are more too. Any more names? Anybody not on this list? Or is that all we had? Huh? Name what? Name what? 
I think you mean the same one as here. Anything else? Rashad Khalifa. Where did you find that? What's that? <laughs> Any others? Any other names? Source? Oh, that's a given. Anytime, anytime there's a homework, if you're going to bring answers, you have to give the sources. Here, there are some sources too. Sister has mentioned, taken from the audio of a Sheikh Fawzan. So you got to give some sort of source for the answers you bring. That's good. That's okay. That'll do for now. That is some of the names of those. We're going to have to stop for the prayer. We'll carry on, inshallah ta'ala, from next week with the new chapter next week. Next week begins on the new chapter. So have a look at that in advance. The English is available. You can download it still. It's available. All of this chapter of Bukhari that we're doing, download it, print it off. Look at it in advance. The hadith that we're going to do the next session. So, inshallah, next week, wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.